This episode, Shelly, is a fun one. Is it? Oh, it is. (laughs) Well, you were there. I know. It was super fun. We interviewed Kate Kelly. Mm -hmm. I think most of our listeners know who she is. Some of you may not. We're going to get into everything about who she is. She was kicked out of the Mormon church. She works for the ERA. She's working on the Equal Rights Amendment. As we speak. As we speak, even though Virginia's already voted on that. Yay, Virginia! Way to go. It's about time. Way to stand up for the ladies. (laughs) Awesome. But there's still so much more to what's going on, and Kate is such an interesting interview. You find out what she's up to now. She started a church. She's starting a podcast. There's a lot to talk about, and we want to get to all that in just a second. Stay tuned. All righty. We are supported by apostate coffee, a damn good cup of joe. I would like to bear my testimony that you will love this blend with every fiber of your being. Uh, you mean bean? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the Les Bean medium dark variety roasted in small batches to ensure freshness, zero bitterness, and balanced acidity. With the sacred, not secret combo of caramel and cocoa, very fancy. Mm-hmm. This coffee will nourish and strengthen your body. So stop drinking subpar coffee. Give the Lesbian Blend a try today at apostatecoffee.com. That's apostatecoffee.com. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. Oh, my God. Just I'm like Mary. jazzy radio shit. <laughs> okay, you're who? Mary? Uh-huh. I'm Shelly. Oh, okay. <laughs> that seems regular. Uh-huh. I'm excited about oh, the new year. I am so pumped. Are we you? are trying to get some uh, more interviews going on this year, and the mm-hmm. first interview we landed was with Kate. Kelly. Those of you who haven't heard about her ever in your life, you're missing out because she's awesome. Those of you who have heard about her, you clearly probably don't know everything. Um, So we have her on and it's about to be amazing. I'm sure of it. And uh, if you don't know who she is, we are about to clear all that up Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Kate Kelly. Welcome. Thanks. I would say most Mormons and ex-Mormons know who Kate Kelly is. Mm -hmm. As a never-mo myself, I was not familiar with Kate until you talked about her. Mm-hmm. And so I found out a little bit more from you and from other ex-Mormons. So for those of our audience who have never been Mormon, 
Kate, why don't you introduce yourself? Give us a little background about you. Well, the one subject I'm an expert in is myself, so. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. We're going to quiz you about yourself later, so make sure you get it right. I was raised in Oregon. My parents are converts to the Mormon church, so they uh, were baptized after meeting the Mormon missionaries in college, but I was raised Mormon. Yeah. So I was raised Mormon in Oregon and was one of very few Mormon kids in my school. It was, you know, a very special thing about me. And I ended up going to Brigham Young University, the Lord's University. Absolutely. For undergraduate. And uh, yeah, got married in the Mormon temple, went on a mission to Barcelona, Spain, and sort of just led a very, very orthodox Mormon life. Yeah. Until, so I ended up going to law school and learned a lot of things I didn't know before, got involved in a lot of different causes and learned about activism and direct action and all these different things. And I graduated from law school. And after I graduated from law school, really started examining my own most intimate community. You know, I was a human rights attorney and I was working in all these different places all around the world and working with women in Zimbabwe and Dominican Republic and Western Sahara and, you know, all these different places. And I kind of realized that I wasn't doing anything for my own people Hmm. and myself in my own smallest, closest community. And so I decided to start a group called Ordain Women to advocate for Mormon women to get the priesthood. In the Mormon tradition, all males receive the priesthood at age 12, and no women have the priesthood. So it's really stark contrast. Yeah. So yeah, I started a group called Ordain Women. It lasted for a little over a year until I was excommunicated from the Mormon church. I was convicted of apostasy in a church trial and excommunicated. Wow. Uh, It's very rare. Excommunications for thought crimes or things that you think or say are very, very rare. Only happen once in a generation, if that. So the news of my excommunication came as a very big surprise to Orthodox Mormons and ex-Mormons alike. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised by it? I was. I think a lot of people at the time had high, high hopes that the church had changed, that the internet existed, that they weren't going (laughs) to get away with the same shenanigans that they had gotten away with in previous generations, and that sort of this moment was a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be very, very, very not the case. Did they forget that Jesus Christ leads the church? Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think people had hope, you know, and it was really devastating Mm -hmm. to realize that that hope was misplaced. Mm. Were you a true believer still when you were excommunicated? Like, how hard did that hit you? It hit me very hard. A lot of people Mm -hmm. think like, oh, she was just doing this because she was a social justice lawyer and it was just to prove a point and it didn't impact her personally. And Mm -hmm. all of that is false. When I got the news of my excommunication, it it came via email. So I opened up the email and literally just broke down sobbing uncontrollably for hours. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It was not my finest hour. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And, (laughs) And I know... A lot of people just assume that when you start to rise up against the church or certain parts of the church, that you don't have a testimony anyway, so who cares? Just get rid of them. They don't want to be there anyway. And I know that that's not true. I have to thank you for this one thing that really pushed me forward as far as leaving the church. 
So when you were excommunicated, I lived in Fairfax Station, Virginia. I had heard of the whole Kate Kelly thing because you were in a neighboring stake, I believe. And my dad and my mom, they live in Utah. And so my dad would always call and say, what's going on out there in the East Coast? You've got these people that are, you know, being led astray. Who's this Kate Kelly? And he's super, super Mormon. He like works for the church office building, very patriarchal. And he kept calling me to ask me, like, when am I going to go fix Kate Kelly? Like, I don't, what like, why? What the heck? Because my, my dad. What were you supposed to do? Well, my dad's, he's my dad. I don't, <laughs> ugh, that's a whole nother podcast, God. which we've had, actually, talking about my dad. Anyway, so when you were excommunicated, my, my dad was actually visiting and we were standing outside in the garage or in the driveway. And I distinctly remember this because this was my first time standing up to my dad ever. Wow. And he said, so you heard that that Kate Kelly got excommunicated and he's kind of laughing. And I said, yeah, yeah, I heard. And my dad said, well, that's what happens. You know, she had it coming. That's what happens. And I said, what do you mean that's what happens? And he kind of kept stuttering over his words and he finally said it. That's what happens when you don't follow the prophet. Anyway, to wrap this part of it up, this broke me in a way that was like, these people don't care about the human behind what the church is doing. And I was so disgusted at his attitude that that was really a big turning point for me. So thank you for getting exed, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Many people experienced it as a collective experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hear people talking about it and they literally say when we were excommunicated, oh. but they actually mean me. Like it happened to me personally, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was a very collective experience. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a lot riding on it for a lot of people. For sure. And a lot of people were informally punished. So there were people who were ostracized from their wards or from their families for participating. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't get directly excommunicated, but they suffered. Yeah. You know, I was an attorney. My family was very supportive of me. And so I didn't actually suffer in some of the ways that other people did. Mm-hmm. You know, I know women who suffered much greater costs than I did mm-hmm. for participating in ordained women. So it was a very collective experience. And it was one of those times in the culture where everyone kind of remembers and has an experience or a story or yeah. it was really a moment, I think, particularly for feminists. Yeah. I'm sure it hurt you a lot, but at the same time, when you have that moment that help people kind of wake up and open their eyes. I think that's huge. I think the world needs people like you who are willing to have that moment. Well, that's how change happens. You have people that are willing to stand up for what they believe in. So at that time, and how long ago are we talking? When were you excommunicated? We started ordaining women in 2013, and I was excommunicated in 2014. Well, that didn't take long. They moved, they moved <laughs> yeah, on yeah, that, they didn't, didn't And they? it wasn't that long ago, really. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you're right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. A lot has changed, but yes. But you know, if you fast forward, and we don't have a crystal ball or a Leahona handy, <laughs> but if we fast forward, it, it's possible that this change may happen, the change to ordain women within the Mormon church and other churches as well. Um, Obviously, that does happen within some um, Protestant congregations. But that could happen, and your name could be associated with kicking that off. That's still really exciting. Yeah. I mean, the church really only has two choices. One is to become more open and inclusive and repent of sexism, racism, homophobia, and all of the other ways in which they oppress marginalized groups. Yeah. Or to completely dwindle in relevance on a worldwide stage. I think 
personally that the latter will happen. Yeah. Uh, they've proven time and time again that they're not willing to be more inclusive and that the leadership has really, uh, I think, doubled down mm-hmm. on their exclusionary policies that are very harmful to many people. Yeah. And so I don't personally see a trajectory that opens up and becomes more inclusive. And that's why they're experiencing you know, an exodus of people out of the church. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree completely. Some people within the church are like, you know, when it's the next generation of leadership, it'll change. But that's just not going to happen because when they get these new guys in the top 12 and they go up the ranks, they just become like the old guys. Yeah. Young Mormons that are going to make it to the top like that are going to be yes men. Yes. Oh, They're exactly. not going to be revolutionaries. <laughs> no, no, no. You get, you get yeah. thrown out if that's you're trying to be a revolutionary. definitely what the yeah. trajectory has been up until this point, that's for sure. But it's interesting that you use the terminology if the Latter-day Saints church would repent. <laughs> well, that would, <laughs> that would require that you apologizing. And, you know, that shit doesn't happen. Well, so. Actually, the Mormon system of repentance I like a lot because it's not just apologizing. It's recognizing what you did was wrong, apologizing, but also doing everything you can to rectify the situation oh, yeah. and make it better and also promising to never repeat it. Mm-hmm. So there are many steps in the process of repentance and it doesn't work to just say, oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. which the church has yet to do. Uh, so that would actually be the first step is acknowledging that what they did was wrong, but then they would also have to go in order to repent as opposed to just apologize. They would have to make right what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do they do that? <laughs> no. 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 Okay. No, 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 no. no. There you have it. No. Well, you can't apologize for God making mistakes because right. that's what you would have okay. to admit. It's like, no, actually... Either God made a mistake or I lied when I said God said. Or I misinterpreted what God said. Why can't you just play the human error card? Yeah, I don't know. That requires a level of humility that the men in power of this organization do not possess. No, because they don't have to. They have their worshipers and they have their money. And anyway, I didn't... um, want to totally focus on Mormonism here. I'm no. sure you've probably told that story But 10, I did have times. a couple more questions about ordained women. Yeah. Is this an organization that continues? Yes, actually. Okay. It's a little difficult because it's very cyclical. People who realize that they are, you know, women specifically who realize that they're being marginalized and oppressed within the tradition often leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to keep an organization going when certain leaders are punished formally and then most other people leave. I mean, it's a voluntary organization, so uh, it's difficult to keep people in once they realize the extent of their full oppression. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So many of the people who were originally involved, almost everyone that I can think of who was originally involved is no longer active in the church. And once you're no longer active in the church, it's very difficult to want things to change. I mean, the the thing you want to change is that it no longer exists. Exactly. (laughs) That's me. I'm like, I don't actually want them to give the gays anything. I don't want them to do anything right because I want them to burn because they've been doing so many harmful things. Yeah, and if they did adopt all that, would that mean I suddenly have to believe the Garden of Eden was ever in Missouri? Because I'm sorry, I cannot wrap (laughs) my brain around that. Listen, the Garden of Eden is not in Missouri. That's where God threw Adam and Eve after they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Well, you know what I mean. 
Sean Diamond. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. 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 Every religion believes in saying things that are very far-fetched. For mm-hmm. sure. So that's not the problem to me. Like, if you're going <laughs> to believe true. in the virgin birth, like, Catholicism is just as crazy as Mormonism, is just as Absolutely. crazy as Islam, is just as crazy as Buddhism, is just as crazy as Judaism. Yeah. Like, there are lots of very far-fetched stories in every religion. I don't care what you believe, as long as you're not oppressing people mm-hmm. and taking away their rights on an active political basis. So you can believe anything you want as long as you're not hurting other people. And that is the problem with the Mormon church is that they're actively working to take away rights. Right. No, I agree. As you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, when religions base their beliefs on the Bible, which tends to be super patriarchal. It does seem like a great control mechanism and a great way to make money. You know, the PC way of saying cult is high demand religion. Oh, there you go. So a high demand religion uses lots of behavioral control mm-hmm. and all of their mechanisms and rituals and all these different things are ways to control people's behavior. And I think that's the really problematic thing with Mormonism yeah. from paying your tithing to going to the temple to all of these different things that are very central to the culture. They're all used in order to control you and to force you to make certain decisions in your life mm-hmm. through a really, really problematic and troubling and harmful uh, system of control. So yeah. again, I think you can believe whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That I don't have a problem with. Yep. What I have a problem with is the ways in which it's harmful and damaging to the people who participate and the people who don't participate, yeah. who just happen to live in places where Mormons have power. No, Those it's poor true. Utah, like ex-Mormons and never-Mormons yeah. are probably like, what in the hell is happening in my Well, state? and you know, we talked to um, non-Mormons in states like Utah working mm-hmm. alongside Mormons and it's challenging yeah. in an office situation, in a business situation, to work alongside Mormons in, cer- in certain cases. Yeah. Because um, yeah. there's a lot of pressure to be a Mormon and potentially uh, promotions might be riding on that sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. challenging. So, Kate, what do you think is your takeaway from ordained women? Because you get excommunicated and then your life sort of takes a completely different turn. So what was your takeaway? I think my takeaway from the entire experience is that it's always more liberating to live your authentic life and be your authentic self. Beautiful. At pretty much no matter the cost. Mm-hmm. So it was a very high cost and it was a very painful experience yeah. for me personally and for many involved. But it was still better to be able to tell the truth and to say what I really thought and to live the way that I believed was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to pretending. And pretending I didn't notice that men and women were treated unequally and pretending that I was okay with that and making excuses and, Mm -hmm. you know, all these different things. I I was on a Mormon mission and I would have to explain to women why women weren't leaders, why women had to wear dresses, why women, you know, were treated as second-class citizens within the community and the culture. That was awful. That was awful to try to convince other women that I was okay with my own marginalization and oppression. Wow. Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was no matter the cost, being your authentic self and telling the truth is more important. Mm -hmm. And that's really carried over into all aspects of my life Mm -hmm. because I basically lost everything. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my community. I lost my paradigm. I lost my eternal family. I lost all of these things I thought I had. Mm -hmm. But what I came away with intact was my integrity and, and my authentic self. I love that. So yeah, I think that's awesome. Net gain, but really, really difficult. 
so I was already an attorney before I started Ordain Women. Mm -hmm. So I kept being a lawyer. Um, I moved to Kenya briefly. I was married uh, to a man at the time. And I was I was actually married for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I got divorced. Do you think the divorce was one of those Mormons tend to get married and they don't really know that person very well? Or you just kind of grow apart? Um, I feel like we knew each other well. Mm-hmm. He was a feminist. Or he is a feminist. He's still alive. <laughs> We're just not <laughs> married anymore. Gotcha. For me, it was kind of the whole infrastructure of our marriage was built on Mormonism. Like, we met at BYU. We got married in the temple. You know, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then... Once that scaffolding is built and you have the entire structure, once the foundation is ripped out and it's like, oh, we were not Mormon anymore. Yeah. Mm. Every reason that we were together, everything that we have in common, all of this is all about Mormonism. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have that anymore. Interesting. And so I think that's what it was. My husband actually had left the church before I did. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. What was it for him? I find this to be like a really stark gender divide. And so for men, it's almost always historicity and truth claim. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and for women, it's almost always unfair treatment. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. That's exactly. So it's like, I don't care about Oliver Cowdery said something <laughs> that no one agreed yeah. with and blah, blah, blah. Like, who cares? Yeah. My lived experience is so actively terrible. Yeah. And I'm so marginalized. God. It's like, I don't care about these esoteric wow. historical claims. That's not what gets women out of the church. No, it's so true. And actually, I didn't even know shit about the crazy whitewash history until well after I left. Yeah. Um, I actually, not even until we really started the podcast and we had to, you know, have topics and we, we talked to different podcasters about Mormon history and stuff. I didn't need to know all that. I have never read the CES letter. I'm sure it's fantastic. Me neither. I've never read it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't need it to leave. It was like, this sucks. I'm exhausted. Yep. <laughs> I, I am done. I'm dying. I'm mm-hmm. out. That's really consistent. You know, men leave because they feel lied to and they read something that they don't they don't agree with or that they find out is not true. Mm-hmm. And for the large, large portion of women, they leave because they are mistreated. Or it's yeah. because we're not faithful enough. Yes. <laughs> or it's because we want to sin. Oh, there I mean, you go. We like sinning. We like sleeping in on Sunday morning. <laughs> yes. That's all it is. More than God. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. I love me my sleep. That's awesome. You know, you brought something up that's so interesting. So when you're on your mission and potential converts who are female are asking you questions about, well, how do you reconcile this and this and this and the patriarchy? Is there any sort of training that helps women before they go on their missions in that situation to deal with that? No, because it's so accepted in the community. It's like, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if there's any training, it's from other women. And the training is very clearly that you're to tell people that women and men are equal. They just have separate roles. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of men and women have bought into that. Sure. What do you say to that? Um, It really has to be something that someone confronts in their own time, in their own way. I haven't found it to be effective to be able to convince people of it. For myself personally, there were many, many years where I went with separate but equal. I tried to venerate Heavenly Mother. I tried to think of all these other things. I tried workarounds. Mm. It's very difficult to look yourself in the mirror and acknowledge that you have participated in an organization that fundamentally discriminates against you and people like you. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. And that is, I think, the hardest hurdle. So for Mormon women that just simply will not or cannot acknowledge that men and women are treated 
differently in the church and that women are less than in the structure, they just haven't gotten to that point yet where they can acknowledge that they participate in a system that discriminates against them. And I would go a step further. Not only are they participating, they are funding Staffing, this. funding, recruiting. Yep. Yep. I mean, Mormon women aren't leaders in the church, but they run it. Yeah, mm-hmm. by yeah. bringing others in. They are the laborers. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> and you brought up a good point. You can't make someone see that. No, you really can't. They have can't. to start questioning first before yes. they will even listen to one second about sexism within the church. They don't you want to really hear. can't convince people, and that's— Very frustrating. <laughs> If they can't see what's so obvious before their very eyes, Mm -hmm. if you look up on a stand any given Sunday at a Mormon church Mm -hmm. and you see only men in power, only men in authority, only men with the power to direct and to really officiate, Mm -hmm. if you can't see that that is unequal, then you just, you can't see. Right. right. You're blind. And so that is a process that people have to go through on their own. Do you think then that your experience within Mormonism laid the foundation for you wanting to work with ERA issues? Yeah. Ironically, I learned about the Equal Rights Amendment, which is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution to include women and all marginalized genders. I learned about the Equal Rights Amendment or the ERA through the negative lens. Yeah. So the way Mm. I learned about it, it was bad. It was wrong. There was this woman named Sonia Johnson, and she was excommunicated Mm -hmm. in 1980 because she was evil and bad, and she wanted to take the church down. And that's how I learned about the Equal Rights Amendment growing up. And I was afraid, yeah. you know, I never read Sonia Johnson's book. She she wrote a book called From Housewife to Heretic, which is basically the best book title ever. It yes. is. <laughs> and I never read it. I didn't read her book until after I was excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's how steeply I was stigmatized against her. Yeah, well, that would have been anti-Mormon literature. So why exactly. did you read that? Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I didn't read it. I didn't find out about it. I actually went to my first ERA activity in 2012. I went to a rally Mm. and there was a group that was trying to revive Mormons for the ERA, which is the group that Sonia Johnson started in the 1980s, 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So I didn't learn about it until I was in law school. So I learned about intermediate scrutiny. I learned why women are second class citizens, even with our own country. At the same time, I was awakening to Mormonism being a system in which women are treated unequally. I realized, oh, it's not just Mormonism. Yeah. (laughs) It's our country. It's our world. You know, patriarchy. It's basically everywhere. It is everywhere. Patriarchy exists everywhere. And so... Was there a moment when that hit or was it just sort of over time? Yeah, it was over time. Yeah. I joined Mormons for the ERA and started helping organize there in addition to ordained women. And learned more and more about the history of the ERA. And it wasn't actually until 2017 that the current push for the ERA gained a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. Because in 2017, Nevada ratified the Equal Rights Amendment. And that was the Mm -hmm. first state that had ratified since the deadline had expired, uh, the original deadline in 1978. Mm. And in fact, I wrote a bill in Utah that we introduced in 2017 as well. So we had a bill in Utah. Very cool. But it just didn't get out of committee. Mm. Hashtag for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hashtag damn Mormons. Yes. I think at at the time, and I think to this day, Mormons are 93% of the Utah State Legislature. Uh, And that's crazy because they don't make up 93% of 
the population of Utah anymore. No, so, of course. They make up 93% of the people who make the rules of who gets to be in the districts. Mm, isn't that, <laughs> that's kind of the same as that, like, uh, there's not 93% of of men in Mormonism, but 99, actually 100% of the men in Mormonism make all the Mormon rules. Mm-hmm. Right, of course. So fair. Yeah, that separation yeah. of church and state really uh, really works in Utah, doesn't oh, it? No. We've been yeah. going crazy with the, with the latest stuff. It's a straight-up theocracy. Yeah. Oh, like, period, end of story. It is a theocracy. What the Mormon church says goes. If they oppose a specific piece of legislation, which they often do. Oh, always do, uh, yeah. Yeah, even if they don't expressly or publicly oppose the legislation. They do throw so through private channels, mm-hmm. making it known to all of the relevant legislators that they oppose the piece of legislation, mm-hmm. and it will fail. Yep. Mm. Uh, so the, it is a, a theocracy, end of story. And so it didn't get very far in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, but it did in Nevada because the Mormon church had lost a lot of their power mm-hmm. uh, in Nevada and influence in Nevada. So... Uh, and I can talk more about how the Mormon church involvement in originally killing ERA, but they were very, very active and engaged in killing the original bid for ratification in the 1970s. So historians largely credit a group called Stop ERA, but Mormon groups were very, very, very involved in, in killing the ERA in the first go-round. So I think it was actually stopped by my ex-mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All by herself, actually. She's one nice. of those. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so what? tell us more about the 70s bullshit that the Mormons pulled to stop that. Yeah, so um, the Equal Rights Amendment, just for a little background, was written by Alice Paul, who was a suffragist uh, and introduced in 1923 for the first time. So it was written almost 100 years ago, and uh, it was passed when the big wave of the feminist movement happened. It was passed in 1972 in Congress, and then it went to the states. So Article 5 of the Constitution says that it has to pass in Congress and then be ratified by three-fourths of the states, which is 38. It was wildly popular and uh, was very quickly ratified by 35 states. Towards the mid-1970s, there were groups that realized, oh, we should oppose this. This is going to happen. And that was also when the culture wars were heating up. And so groups led by a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who really organized women across the country to oppose the Equal Rights Amendment. This included many Mormon women. Damn it, Phyllis. (laughs) Yes, Phyllis. Mormons got really engaged not only in Utah and states that were obviously controlled by Mormon politicians, Arizona, Nevada, sort of intermountain west Mormon-controlled states, but mm-hmm. also in other states. Mm-hmm. You can read a lot about this in the book Housewife, From Housewife to Heretics, okay. Sonia Johnson's book. So Mormon churches also assigned women to fight the ERA, so they got a calling, quote-unquote. Oh, you don't say uh, no to callings. So. Yes, you do not. You really don't. Nope. I mean, wow. it's, it's not it's not an option no. to say no. If you're a believing Mormon and, and you think God has called you to do this thing, mm-hmm. you'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, my grandmother was one of the people who was called to fight the ERA in Arizona, mm-hmm. a state that still has not ratified. They were assigning women specifically to fight against the ERA as part of their church duties. Wait, I thought the church wasn't political. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. What's going the on? The ERA, ironically, the ERA is really where they started breaking those political barriers, mm-hmm. where they first got their chops to do things that they later went on to do to fight gay marriage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That, it wow. all really started with the Equal Rights Amendment. Wow. Um, so they made alliances with other groups who were virulently anti-woman and misogynist, including other churches, but also very, very conservative political groups, mm-hmm. uh, like the Eagle Forum, et cetera, that still has a lot of power in Utah politics. 
politics today. Wow. So the Mormon church organized. There were these big events called You're the Woman events. Mm -hmm. They were federally funded and they had them in every state. And then there was a big culminating event that took place in Texas. And so at first the Mormons were going to boycott them. But then they realized, okay, instead of boycotting them, why don't we flood them? So I believe in Utah, uh, there were 13,000 people who participated, the, the largest by far of any state, including California yeah, and wow. New York, hmm. um, because Mormon Church told Mormon women from every Relief Society they were supposed to send a delegation of women from literally every congregation. Uh, and they were told to vote down every proposal. So it was kind of funny God. because there were even proposals that were like anti-pornography and the Mormons all voted them down. They're like, no, 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 no. Uh, so they, at, at that point, were pro-pornography. Porn uh, wins every time, I'm telling uh, you. Just because Jesus. they were told to vote against every proposal. That's and hilarious. So they did. Yeah, they did. Wow. Wow. So in these Women's Year events, Mormons made a really big showing, uh, obviously in Utah, but also in all these other states, in order to kill the proposals. So they they just really played this really large and pivotal role in actually killing the Equal Rights Amendment. God. And like I said, not just in Mormon states, in states that were not controlled by the Mormons as well. So e even in a state like Virginia, where percentage-wise there are very few Mormons, mm -hmm. they were really engaged and active. Some of the legislators said the most letters they got were from Mormon constituents, and they were very, very engaged in opposing it. How would you suggest that we as Virginians celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> there will be a huge equality ball in Virginia, um, mm -hmm. and, and this is just me as an organizer. I think the best way to pivot celebrating Virginia ratifying is to encourage the U.S. Congress to eliminate the deadline. So there was a deadline imposed on the original passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. That deadline was 1978 and then was extended to 1982. So the original deadline may be a procedural error um, mm -hmm. or a procedural barrier, rather. So there are two bills in Congress currently to eliminate the original deadline. Nice. So one is in the House. That bill is Jackie Spears' bill. That's House Joint Resolution 79. Uh, and then there is also a resolution. It's uh, Senate Joint Resolution 6, I believe. So that's a okay. Senate bill. Um, those two bills are really just to eliminate that original deadline and incorporate the final three states. So not totally over the final threshold. Mm -hmm. There are also five states that attempted to rescind uh, their ratification. Mm. So that was in the 70s. Basically, once the pressure really built up and there was this huge tidal wave of anti-ERA movement mm -hmm. and there was talk of gay marriage and there were lots of scare tactics used and they said they were saying that women are going to be drafted and women are going to be dragged out of their homes to the front lines of the military mm -hmm. uh, and all of these really you know boogeyman arguments yeah. then people started fighting against it and states that had already ratified in the first wave started to try to unratify mm -hmm. uh, that included Idaho Idaho was one of the states that attempted to rescind their ratification so that issue will also have to be decided in the courts, whether or not states can rescind. Uh, I think it's a pretty strong argument that they cannot. Right. Um, but yeah. Wow. Exciting time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm excited that I'm not a Mormon in these times, that I can actually open my brain and take in information and go. form an opinion. It feels so good. Yeah, that's yeah. new for you, Shelley. It is new for me. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I rip on the people who are, you know, trying to block the ERA, I would have been doing the same thing before I left the church. I would have been doing whatever my man leadership told me to do. I would have done it. <laughs> I would have voted for pornography because I wouldn't have thought through. You wouldn't have read the I whole wouldn't have read anything. I'd have been like, well, they said vote no. <laughs> and everything. So, <laughs> ugh. 
old me was well, <laughs> and you know, it just seems so slimy and sneaky that the LDS Church drafted Relief Society members to go be the vocal people that are opposing ERA. Yeah. They're saying not even the women want this. That's what that says to me. I mean, that's how patriarchy always operates. Yep. It's typically that they put women out in front of arguments uh, that are anti-woman so that it doesn't appear to be such a patently misogynistic approach. So mm-hmm. you'll see, I mean, this is true today. You see women are the ones that are always pushed forward to say things that are particularly heinous yeah. and defend policies that are very, very terrible for women. It's always some token woman that they find to make make the argument. That's true. Uh, Sonia Johnson, actually, many years later, I met her, I guess not many years. So I went and found her uh, now. It's actually kind of hard to find her. She's a little bit off the grid. Mm-hmm. And I went and found her and met her and met with her several times. And she's fascinating and incredible. Um, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting that she told me is even at the time she refused to debate women. Mm. Uh, so TV channels and, you know, other places would try to say like, okay, it's this woman against this woman, blah, blah, blah. They're Mm going to have a debate. And she was like, no, yeah. if they put a woman against me, I would just walk off the stage. Like I felt like it was an unfair representation of who actually benefited from the policies Mm -hmm. and that most often those women were told to be there by men. And so she said, I would only debate men because those are the people who are actually opposing. And those are the people who are benefiting from us not being in the Constitution. Wow, exactly. yeah, that's great. Well, great point. Yep. So, Shelly, why don't we take a little break? Want to? Um, no? Yes. All right. We are supported by new dating app. Hey, listeners, raise your hand if you think dating after Mormonism is difficult. Probably 95% of our listeners are raising their hands right now. <laughs> you know, it's hard meeting someone and having to explain your whole wacky Mormon upbringing. Oh, we went through this. And since your faith transition, you've probably been kicked out of the singles ward. So now what? Oh, that is challenging. Mm-hmm. Check out New. It's an ex-Mormon dating app available for download on both Android and iPhone. Are you ready to find post-Mormon love with someone who understands your story? I know I am. <laughs> oh, hey. wait, wait, too late. <laughs> <laughs> Visit newdating.app and learn more. That's newdating.app. We are back. Hello. Hello. You've already mentioned a couple of things that are in the works. What else, what can we do as a people who don't necessarily hold office? What can we do to get the ERA ratified? So we still need additional states to do so, Mm -hmm. partly because of the rescissions issue, but also just because it's important for all states to really reassert that women's rights are important Mm -hmm. and that there should be no discrimination on the basis of sex. Mm -hmm. And the word women is actually not in the Equal Rights Amendment. It's tricky. Uh, The entire first clause of the amendment reads, equality of rights shall not be abridged or denied by the United States or by any state on account of sex. So I think there's a pretty good argument that the Equal Rights Amendment can protect trans people, can protect non-binary people, can protect uh, people of all marginalized genders and sexual orientations. And I make that argument. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's an article I wrote called The ERA is Queer, if anyone wants to read it. Awesome. um, Just Google that. The ERA, I think, can be used to protect a lot of different categories because the word women is not in it. So it will certainly protect women. And that was its original intention. And that's what it's meant for. But I think because of the wording, it will be able to be used to protect lots of people, all marginalized genders. I love that. 
Yeah. So if folks want to get involved, there's lots of ways to get involved, but particularly if you're from one of the states that has yet to ratify, my organization is called Equality Now. You can look up on our website and there are ways to find out the different groups that are participating in the Equal Rights Amendment in all the different states. Like I said, it's the Southern and the Mormon states. If you live in Utah or Arizona, your state has not ratified. If you live in a state that has already ratified, there's a good chance um, that you don't have a state ERA. So you can work on getting a state ERA. For example, I live in New York state and there is no equal rights amendment or gender provision in the New York state constitution, which is kind of surprising to Mm. a lot of people. Yeah. So you can work on your state equal rights amendment. And then, like I said, there's also a fight in the federal legislature. So if you want to contact your senator, for example, to tell them to support the deadline removal bills, Senator Cargadon is the one who's sponsoring, and Murkowski, it's a bipartisan bill. So you can contact your senators and tell them that you want the deadline for the equal rights amendment removed. But if you don't remember any of that, and you just want to look up more information on it and see a map and all that other kind of stuff, you can just look up equalitynow.org backslash ERA. That is fantastic. It is. And I also want to ask, how did Equality Now come about? How did you get involved in that organization? Yeah. So I got back from Kenya and I worked in Utah for a couple of years. I worked at Planned Parenthood. Um, I helped start an organization called Utah Women Unite. I planned the Women's March in Utah, which was the largest march in Utah state history on the Capitol. So I was doing many things in the interim. (laughs) Um, Never, never a dull moment. Mm -mm. Then I decided to leave Utah. It was just too much. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. It's just a place where Mormonism sort of seeps into every aspect of life and culture and politics. It's going to be hard. There are very few people who are willing to stand up to the church. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's not even the atmosphere that's so problematic. To me, it's the lack of people who will actually tell the truth about the church um, because of the power and control that the church has. So even progressive people are very reticent to actually, you know, there'll be people who are like, we just don't know why we're the worst state in in the (laughs) entire country for women. It's so confusing. Maybe it's it's the elevation. Maybe it's blah, blah, blah. Uh Um, You know, it's so confusing why we have the lowest college graduation rates for women and the highest rates of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and the lowest participation in government and business and blah, 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 blah. Like every statistic is terrible for women. Mm -hmm. And people will not admit, if you go to these conferences, if you go to these meetings, people won't just say, the only difference between this state and every other state in the United States is the influence of the Mormon church, period, end of story. That is the problem. And we're never going to solve the problem if we don't acknowledge the problem. So I just couldn't take it anymore. It probably Um, feels like you're fighting this Goliath and it's like, I can do better elsewhere. And it's probably just tore you down as well because when I know people who are Mormon and I know they don't agree with all the Mormon crap but they don't want to say anything, that's so frustrating. It's like you're Mm. you don't even believe it. Yeah. Honestly, people's lack of courage and Mm -hmm. candor was the reason that I left. So I decided to come to New York. I did a fellowship at Columbia Law School with their Human Rights Institute where I worked on a project called Bringing Human Rights Home, which Mm -hmm. is really focusing my legal training and my human rights training on enforcing legal norms and treaties and human rights in the U.S. Mm. So then I uh, decided to stay in New York. I came for a break. You know, I'm like, oh, I need a break from Utah. I need Mm -hmm. a break from Utah. And I got here and I was like, wait, I never have to go back. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Do whatever you want. Although my family lives in Utah, so I go there, you know, at least once a month. But Jesus. 
we're a very togetherness family, (laughs) as many Mormons are. Yeah, so I started working at Equality Now, and we work on constitutional equality in lots of different countries. And, you know, I work on child marriage and FGM and all of these other issues that impact women in the U.S. But because I had been working on the Equal Rights Amendment before, like I said, since 2012, I sort of brought that to them and said, you know, I really think this is going to be an, a really crucial issue in the next few years. And I think, really think we should take this on. So yeah. they had a lot of faith in me and trusted me and my expertise. And so we've been building up uh, our program, working on the Equal Rights Amendment. And I'm doing a podcast myself. Oh, we got, we're going to talk, we about, talk the about that. You want to jump there now? Yeah. Tell us everything. And by the way, you are not a real human being unless you have a podcast. <laughs> right? So. All the kids are doing it. All the kids are it's doing it. 2020. I know. Like, if you don't have a podcast, who are like, you? Like, seriously, get your shit together. What are you doing with your time? Um, <laughs> so I was approached by a media company called Wonder Media Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, they focus on women-focused podcasts and bringing out marginalized voices. And they wanted to do a podcast on the Equal Rights Amendment. Nice. Uh, They said, you know, you have a really interesting story and we want to make a story-focused show uh, to help younger people understand the Equal Rights Amendment. So that was right up my alley. Wow, very cool. You also have a fantastic voice. I don't know if I've ever heard your voice before. You have a great radio voice. So Oh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When you listen to yourself recorded, you're like, You get used to it. You get used to it. It's like the most heinous torture. (laughs) Um, You get used to it, then you start listening to your own podcast over and over like Mary and I do because we're weird. Okay, speak Um, for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Just to learn stuff. You know. I hope I never listen to my own podcast just because I don't like the sound of my own voice. But um, so it's an interview show. So I interview lots of folks. It, it's edited. So mm-hmm. there'll probably be, you know, four or five people featured per episode Okay, um, where we talk everything from before the Constitution was written to how, why it was written the way it was, how women were written out of it, you know, who wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, why they wrote it, how it got passed, why it never got ratified, all the way to the present day and what people can do about it. That is well, that awesome. sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and it's called Ordinary Equality because Alice Paul, who wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, said, there's nothing complicated about ordinary equality. Yeah, mm. I love it. Yeah. And will it be available pretty much where all podcasts can yes. be heard? Wherever you consume your podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Latter-day Lesbian Podcast listeners, if you don't listen to oh. this first episode and then <laughs> every episode after, we're just not friends anymore. I'm just I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. You need, you need oh, this, dare this you. shit matters, okay? <laughs> we're going to excommunicate you. You know, Shelly learned all of her best manipulation tactics from from the Mormon church. Pretty <laughs> sure. Shit pretty did. sure. I can Great. run the guilt and shame game like I'm a boss. She's real good at that. <laughs> it works for them. So <laughs> Why not take advantage of everything that was taking advantage of us, right? You know, every time I meet a current true believing Mormon woman, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, and it's not very many, admittedly, it's about a handful, I bring up the priesthood. And every time they say, I don't even want the priesthood. Every time that's the and you're like, that's not the fucking Classic. point. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you think about it, you have to make excuses for your own marginalization and exclusion. And for that's sure. Like, that's really shitty. It is Isn't shitty. That, it's like sour grapes. Like, you're not actually keeping anything from me because I didn't want it anyway. And you have to tell yourself that so you can stay believing in the church. Mm. It's so funny because men are so successful at making people believe that they're so busy and important that women don't actually realize that they're already doing the bulk of the work. Right. They just don't get any of the credit or authority. Oh, God, so, so true. So for a Mormon woman to say, like, oh, it's so 
much work to have the priesthood. It's like, girl, seriously, <laughs> you already do like so much work for free. Mm-hmm. You just don't realize that you'd be doing the same amount of work. You just have people under you like they have under mm-hmm. them exactly. to do that work. Yep. Hey, oh you God. know what? I can touch sacrament bread under a table all day long. <laughs> I could ru- I could rule over that. Be really good. <laughs> it's just it's just sad the ways in which the patriarchy has so inculcated us mm-hmm. that we believe in our own oppression and we justify it to ourselves yeah. and to other women. Well, that's the only way they can keep this Mormon church thing going is they have to keep people thinking that it's the right way to do things and there's not a better way. And, of course, that it's God's way. That's like your ultimate— Yeah, you play the God card. Yeah. Yep. God said. You can have all the arguments you want against the Mormon church, but when they say God said, then you're kind of like, well, God said. I'm not going to argue with God. That's and you can't ridiculous. prove it wrong. No. You can't prove that God didn't actually talk to the prophet in the quorum or whatever and tell him different things because mm-hmm. you weren't there to hear God's words mm-hmm. just to these select dudes. Uh, God only <laughs> likes the old white dudes. I guess so. Okay. All right. I am dying to talk about Kate Kelly's personal life. Oh, Kate, are you up for this? Yes, got, I am. There's a, I was like, I she's live, got us muted. No, I live, I live, <laughs> God damn it, Kate. I, I live very close to a church and the church bells are chiming right now. So, oh. I'm muted. so if you hear church bells in the background. Uh, I would call that cool. a tender mercy. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hashtag tender yes. mercy. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, totally. What do you want to know? Well, um, Kate was straight. <laughs> I'm just making rhymes up at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and Kate it, was straight. Yeah, and because I she was— ran out of the gate. <laughs> Don't be late. I can't wait <laughs> to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> so you were married in the temple to a dude. Yeah. They at, don't let you marry a woman in the temple if you're I mean, you're that's a valid point, Mary. Not yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, like that's actually going to change, Kate. You think that shit's going to change? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who cares, really? I mm-hmm. almost want them to change it just to see my dad, like— Watch his brain fucking explode. You'd be surprised at Mormon's capacity to immediately integrate new changes, though, as though it was always happening. Uh, That's true. It's not like they would be like, whoa, revolutionary. They would be like, oh, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. We always knew it was going to happen. I totally predicted this. And it's not anything new whatsoever. Oh, yeah, because they want to stay in the cool club. You got to agree with everything and act like, oh, no big deal. But how do you actively hate the gays, but then allow them to get married in your temple? Like, you can't do both. God changed his mind. that's what happened to black people. That's oh, right. that's true. <laughs> to quote the musical, God totally changed his mind about black people in 1978. So you never know. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Book of Mormon, the best musical ever because it's hilarious. Oh, my God. I loved so it. Good. I loved it. I know. Okay. So back to Kate. Okay. So okay. Kate is married to a dude. Were you thinking you are straight? Yeah. Okay. No attraction to women because, I mean, no. boobs. Come on. Come on, Kate. I mean, <laughs> I have a lot of heterospect. <laughs> okay. I'll briefly just say the little trajectory and then if you have any other questions. Cool. So I was married to a man. We got divorced and I started dating another man. I'm pansexual. I also enjoyed sex with men. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I felt this very tortured existence. Right. And I was like, well, you know, I live in New York now, so I'm going to give it a try. Lots of lesbos in New York, right? So many beautiful women (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, I just decided to kind of give it a shot. I was very clear about, you know, my intentions and how new to queerness I was and all these different things. There's all these things that you have to navigate and, you know, dating apps and all those different kinds of things. But I was like, it's now or never. I never in Mormonism really felt like I had the chance to even think about it. Like for me, it was so unthinkable. It was so off the table. I didn't even feel conflicted about it. I never even thought like, 
maybe I am gay. Like it was just so far removed from my reality that I didn't even feel conflicted about it. Yeah. Shelly went through that too. Yeah. I was the same Mm -hmm. way. I'm as gay as the day is long. Like I am such a lesbian, but for 42 years of my life, it didn't even cross my mind because it was just not an option. It wasn't even in my vocabulary. I was the opposite. I was like, I'm a lesbian. Too bad it's sinful. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll have to be the black sheep. I just Mm. took it on. Mm -hmm. And also, I think like sexuality is complex and changing. And there's a lot of research by a professor actually at the University of Utah. Her name is Lisa Diamond. And essentially her research, she would kill me if I was describing it this way, but essentially her research boils down to that all women at some point or another in their lives are on the spectrum mm-hmm. uh, and that very few women are just straight. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can check out Lisa Diamond's work. You don't have to believe me. You can believe a longitudinal study conducted over a 30-year period. Okay. Yeah. So the data really carries out that women are very flexible, particularly later in their lives, mm-hmm. uh, and that many women, if not most women, experience attraction to women over time. And so I don't mean to explain it like I'm a scientist, but for me, that was true. I hadn't experienced this in my life and I kind of made a decision. Okay, I'm just going to go for Mm -hmm. it. Like, who knows? How am I ever going to know if I don't just try? Yeah. 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 That was the hardest part for me. Deciding to try? Yeah, because people knew me as a heterosexual woman. Yeah. And I'm in the public eye and I had been married and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So everyone experiences you as a straight woman. Mm -hmm. And when you're like, okay, I'm not going to be a straight woman anymore, you know? Did you make that sort of public before you found someone to date? Kate on the DL, baby. (laughs) I was dating other, I was dating a lot of women. And then I was like, man, I'm going to end up with a woman. I just feel really confident of that. Mm -hmm. And I never came out. I never came out. And I was like, oh God. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to come out on Twitter. I probably didn't need to do this, but I'm like addicted to authenticity. So I just came out on Twitter. I literally just tweeted, I'm queer. That's it. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Nothing else. There was no explanation. (laughs) I didn't feel like I owed it to anyone. Was this on coming out day or anything significant? No. I wasn't that specific. It was like a Tuesday. Random Thursday afternoon. (laughs) Right after lunch. It was a random day. Um, You were feeling cute. (laughs) I was feeling cute and wanted to tell people I was queer. I love it. What was the reaction? People were so nice about it. Like, I am a very privileged woman who lives in New York City in a time where coming out is not dangerous. Yeah, we're real lucky for sure. And Mm -hmm. so people were incredibly nice about it. This is Mormons, of course, an ex-Mormons. So like the next day, someone sent me a dozen rainbow colored roses. Like people were so incredibly nice and embracing about the entire process. There was like a few people who were weird about it, but whatever, fuck them. Mm. Like (laughs) fuck them hard. It was fine. And I actually came out on Twitter and my parents don't follow me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. They follow me on all my other social medias, but not on Twitter. Was that by plan for you? So <laughs> yes, because okay. I'm like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> but I'm assuming and, you had to deal with that at some point. Yes. So then I was like, oh, my God. So I said something on Facebook. I knew my mom followed mm-hmm. me. God bless her. Mm-hmm. And um, my sister called my mom and she was like, Kate came out on Facebook. You have to say something to her. Like, So my mom, God bless her. She just, I think she left me a voicemail because I was at work and she was like, okay, well, we saw your message. We just want you to know that we support you no matter what. It was so nice. That is like, nice. It was, like really proactively nice. Wow. My brother is also gay and came out and is married to a man. And, oh, you know, we, so he, we've kind he of been 
lived through that journey as a family before, long before I, you know, started ordaining women. Mm -hmm. And so we had already been, I I would say, on that journey for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really credit him for taking a lot of the initial uh, pressure off of that. That was good of him. mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for being gay. Thank you for choosing (laughs) to be gay, big brother, right? (laughs) Thank you for being Mm -hmm. so gay that you couldn't hide it. That's yeah. awesome. We knew you were gay when you were four years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so great job. Mm-hmm. Very, very gay. So I was really embraced. The only thing for me was I wasn't doing it as like a stunt or something yeah. that I wanted people to integrate into my identity or be like, oh, I'm queer now. So mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I really haven't. Like, I didn't do it for that reason. Sure. And this is the tender mercy of Twitter, though. So I came out on Twitter and a woman who I had met at a women's ordination conference Mm. in 2015 when I was still married to a man, she messaged me. She saw that I came out on Twitter and she's like, whoa, Kate Kelly is queer now. (laughs) Um, So she messaged me. I thought, oh, you know, we'd met at this ordination conference. I thought she wanted to talk about ordination. She's Catholic. Uh, and we really relied heavily on the Catholic women's ordination movement yeah. for guidance and for ideas uh, in the initial stages of ordaining women. So she messaged me and asked if I wanted to go out to coffee. I, of course, was awkward about it and said I didn't drink coffee. Um, <laughs> God damn it, Kate. You could drink you tea or hot, hot chocolate. chocolate there. I know. I did. I drank hot chocolate. And she's like, what is happening? <laughs> um, well, you know, if you start drinking coffee, we have a really good coffee brand we can hook you up with. But that's ooh. another conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a po- yeah, a yeah. Coffee.com. There's a latter day lesbian them. blend. Okay, carry on. Which is a little, Amazing. Just pitching real quick. Okay. Um. <laughs> so yeah, if you guys get over that hump, I still haven't. Um. <laughs> I don't drink coffee, but mm-hmm. yeah. So we went out, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, this ordination lady wants to meet with me, and then I got there, and I was like, oh, the ordination lady is a hot lesbian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. All right. mm-hmm. Okay. Do you um, still call her the hot ordination, ordination lady? lady? In my phone, she's like, ordination lady. Oh, hell yeah. Um, That's so fucking hot. And so, you know, we talked and talked and talked and I had to go back to work. And I was like, do you want to hang out on Thursday? And she's like, you mean tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, tomorrow. You're pretty sly with the ladies there, yeah. Kate. I'm so sly. Do you want to get together was... for another hot chocolate? <laughs> tomorrow. Hot chocolate's um, on me. So, yeah, we went to a lesbian poetry night. Oh, my God, at... that is so gay, Kate. <laughs> oh, God. Also, it was at the Brooklyn Museum. Jesus. So we also went to see the Judy Chicago dinner table exhibit, if you've ever seen mm-hmm. that. I haven't seen that. Oh, my God. It is an entire huge dinner table with, like, labia plates of women throughout history. Oh, my God. You are the gayest person I've ever talked to. (laughs) It's very important that you make this pilgrimage. Maybe we have to do this. We have to do this. It's very, very important to my happiness that you come to see this. It's so beautiful. So, yes, we we went to a labia feast uh, and a poetry night. Wait, (laughs) Um, A labia feast on lesbian poetry night. Wow. Yeah. We need a better this story, Mary. Her case is better than our story. I am so not a lesbian now compared to oh, this. This is amazing. Guys. <laughs> We're just like your normal boring lesbians. I participated in some slam poetry nights when I lived in Atlanta. I didn't actually do any of the poetry because I don't do that. I'm not judging. I just don't have that talent. Mm. Let me just say, I don't have that talent, but it's very cool to witness. Well, I had a mullet and played college basketball. So, boom. (laughs) How's that for gay? 
<laughs> okay, so you, you're going to to the Labia Fest. Then what happens? <laughs> oh yeah, Fest. yeah. So we started dating. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, she's Catholic. I'm Mormon. That's never going to uh, work. You can't get married yeah. in the temple. It's never going to work. Right? <laughs> the great and abominable church. They are, aren't they? So mm-hmm. are, do you still both, um, are you practicing in your various religions? So I actually started my own church. Really? So, oh my God, tell me everything. Yes. It's amazing. It's actually called Sacred Space, and we meet once a month at a women's only social club. Very okay. cool. It's called The Wing. And I started it with a Baptist preacher. Her name is Ebony Marshall Terman. She's a divinity professor at Yale. And then a woman who is a trans woman who was a former Hasidic Jewish rabbi. Awesome. And me and one other woman. Her name is Blair Imani. She's a Muslim queer activist. Wow. So we started a space that's for women and non-binary folks who really just miss things from their own traditions. Yeah. We take things that we love and we leave everything else behind. That is so awesome. homophobia, racism, sexism, all of those things that make organized religion so difficult for so many, those are the things that we leave behind. Yeah. And we keep the traditions and poems and music and all of those different things from our tradition. Wait. Who blesses the sacrament? (laughs) We don't have sacrament. We also don't have a leadership structure. So there are no people who are in charge. There are no people. Wait, so no one's presiding? No, we we actually do have a presider, which I like a lot, actually, but it just rotates. Ah. Uh, So we have different people presiding over each session. Mm -hmm. And it's actually interesting because for me, I didn't think I missed as much as I did. Yeah. Until I started doing Sacred Space. And then I was like, I'm really looking forward to it every month. Like it's my favorite Sunday of the month. And when religion and spirituality can be completely unshackled from patriarchy and from misogyny and from homophobia and from all of these really damaging things, Mm -hmm. it becomes so much more beautiful and light and healthy and beneficial. That's awesome. I would love to find something like that. It was a struggle for me too, leaving Mormonism. Not that I missed Mormonism, but there's still this pull to somehow congregate with people and speak about spirituality. If we wanted to come up on one of those Sundays to go to your, was it Sacred Space, the church Mm -hmm. you have? Um, Mm -hmm. Would we be welcome there? Of course. Excellent. Yeah. on Twitter, it's just at Sacred Space. That's the handle. Okay. So you can find it there. The club is a private club, so only members can come. But there's an Eventbrite every month. So you can sign up on the Eventbrite and anyone who's on the RSVP list can come. That gotcha. is awesome. This has been amazing. We yeah. probably should wrap it up. But before we go, I want to pitch your podcast one more time. It's called Ordinary Equality. Is that right? Yeah, ordinary equality. Nice. We have already we have already about. guilted and shamed our listeners into listening, so you should be good. Yeah, should be good. <laughs> and uh, check that out in your favorite podcast app coming very and soon. And there is a lot about Mormonism in the podcast. Yeah. So if you're, if you're interested in Mormonism at all, you're in luck. It's interesting. We have a lot of never Mormon listeners, but they are still fascinated by it because every patriarchal religion holds hands with each other. You know, it's it's all mm-hmm. the same shit, and so. Mormonism is nothing special. It's its own weird, quirky, horrible brand of patriarchy. And so everyone can feel each other's pain. Well, and Mormons have a disproportionate amount of power in our 
National Congress and Very many true. state legislatures. We almost had a Mormon president, mm-hmm. oh, you God. know, like it's important to know about this. That's true. For sure. <laughs> that mittens almost made it in. Mm-hmm. Is Utah the only state that's mostly run by Mormons? No, no. Arizona, Idaho, it, to some extent, Nevada, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, Oregon. But, you know, keep in mind that the Romneys are actually from Massachusetts. That's true. So there are other places where there are pockets of Mormons. Those damn Mormons. Mm. They seep into everything. Yeah. Small but mighty. Yes. Is there anything else that you would like to add? This has been fantastic, by the way. I would just say that if you're thinking about maybe you are interested in dating women, but it's really hard to get over that hurdle Mm -hmm. or you don't know how to approach it or blah, blah, blah. I'm happy to talk to people. I've always been a missionary and now I'm going to be a missionary for this. So if you you want to be a lesbian, you can be. Um, (laughs) I used to call myself hopelessly heterosexual. If you call yourself hopelessly heterosexual, you're like one step away from being a lesbian. That's right. So you're almost there, guys. You're, you're Just so keep close. Going. Kate, thank you again so much. This has been amazing. Yeah. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Shelly, let's take one final break. And when we get back, we'll do some patrons and some stuff. Wrap this I up. I like it. I like it. Okay. Be right back. Shelly, we are living through an historic moment in constitutional history. Almost 100 years after the Equal Rights Amendment was first introduced, it's on track to be ratified in our state, Virginia. Go, Virginia! (laughs) And Wonder Media Network plans to talk about it in a new podcast called Ordinary Equality. Hosted by human rights attorney Kate Kelly, this show explores the ERA from every angle, past, present, and future. In this 12-part series, Kate tells the story of a landmark amendment that passed, failed, and has been resurrected once again. As Alice Paul, author of the ERA, said, most reforms, most problems are complicated, but to me, there's nothing complicated about ordinary equality. So subscribe to Ordinary Equality wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Once again, we are not hoarding patrons any longer, so I am going to read Ten. She's doling them out in increments of ten Instead now. Instead of five, yeah, because I don't want to be a name hoarder. All right, don't hoard those names. But I will give every name the attention it deserves. Are you ready? <clears throat> this ought to be good. Number one, Barrett B. Barrett B. Barrett B. It's a lot of Bs. B. Barrett B. Barrett needs a last name. It's a lot of Bs, a lot of Rs, and a lot of Ts. Right? Yes. <laughs> Like, if we were going to play Hangman and that was Barrett's name, I'd be like, You'd Vanna, be winning. You'd be winning. Spin me a T. I'll take an R. Yep. B, please. Mm-hmm. I'd like to solve it. Okay, I think we got this. Okay. <laughs> Thank Fine. you, Barrett. Next. Ariadne, and I know, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but she actually goes by Ari, so I'm just going to okay. say Ari. R-E-L. R-E-L. Am I taking over your job here? I'm going to hide my notes. <laughs> I don't get don't to... Don't read over my shoulder. I don't get to contribute to this, so this section. Is a, this is a weird situation. Um, when we interviewed Kate, we were sitting, you and I, next to each other instead of across from each other just because of random technical shit. I've never had you so close to me and reading over my shoulder. Is that weird? It's a weird. <laughs> you feel violated right now? Uh, nope. Okay. Anyway, Ari, thank you. Next, Lisa M. Okay. You keep looking at it. What's wrong with that? It's just kind of funny. <laughs> you don't like it. It's making you feel uncomfortable that I'm looking no, at your you notes. No, you can look at it. But now I feel like I don't get to surprise you with anything okay. if you're reading my notes. No surprises left in our relationship. None. <laughs> Lisa M., would you like a new last name? Oh, do you want to provide one? Macklemore. Macklemore? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next is just plain old Robin with a Y. 
Okay, Robin with a Y. Not even an initial. We can you mean do whatever we want initial? with Robin. Yeah, not even in a last name initial. Robin. Why? Because we love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, Robin, when Mary makes the joke, that's what you're going to get. Robin, oh, why? Okay. We love you. <laughs> Next, Anne C. C? You're, C. you're looking for a name for C? C, it's Anne. <laughs> okay. C right there. C yep. right there it's, says Oh, Anne. you're showing me your well, notes now. Because it says Anne C. Mm-hmm. C right there. Sure does. Next, Cynthia W. W. Cynthia Wonka. No? Okay, your turn. Cynthia, <laughs> give, give Cynthia a name. Wunderbar. Oh, my God. What? She might not even be German. That's okay. okay. I'm partially German. Oh, that God. Counts. So you're probably cousins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cynthia Wunderbar, who is now Mary's cousin. Mm-hmm. Next, Connor with a K. Okay. Last initial, D. D. Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Deliberate. Connor, if you're not okay with that, let us know. We will change it from delight. Well, you come up with something. I would have said like deli meat. Uh- <laughs> Connor, go with my response. So by the way, this is what happens when I have to do 10 patron names. It's, it gets more and more amazing. <laughs> Does it? No, no. Amazing? Okay. Next we got? is Tamara or Tamara. Goes by Tam. Okay. S. I know of her. She is an amazing human who has overcome a shit ton in her life. Oh, wow. So grateful to have her as a patron. Well, fantastic. Did you want to give her a last name or? Tamara Superstar. Okay. You like that? Yeah. It matches. Sure. Next, Alyssa S. And I actually have her entire last name, but I would butcher the shit out of it if I tried to say it. Okay. But I also want to say that Alyssa S. is a local Oh, spectacular. That's yeah. what the S stands for. It is. Spectacularly local. Um, <laughs> I posted about our podcast in a local mom's group, and she was like, huh, I'll give it a listen. That's great. And then she was like, damn, that's badass. Oh, okay. No, is she wasn't a like that. direct quote? Um, yeah. How many Alyssas does that make for oh, God. patrons? There's a lot of <laughs> Alyssas. I think probably a hundred billion, the same amount that the church is hoarding <laughs> in dollars. <laughs> Last, Ashley F. Ah, and Ashley is an interesting spelling. I'm looking at it's your the notes. It's the L-E-I-G-H one. Yeah, which always seems sort of Gaelic to me. Well, she probably is Gaelic. Does that make you guys related? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Ashley F needs a name. F? What's a Gaelic F name? A Gaelic F name. Uh-huh. Well, you know, a fairy. Fairy? F-A-E-R-I-E or something. Okay, Ashley Ferry. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a bit of a shit show train wreck, mm-hmm. and it was a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to go through any of that, I'm not sure why you would, <laughs> please visit patreon.com slash latterdaylesbian mm-hmm. to sign up. Mm-hmm. Please and thank you. Thank you. Thanks to all our patrons. We love you all. I guess that's going to do it, right? Is there anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, no, that that does it. Okay. This was a lovely episode. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, It was awesome. It was badass. Mm -hmm. Thank you Mm -hmm. to Kate Kelly for giving some of her time to us. Yeah, we're going to have to road trip up there and uh, check out her church. That's really cool. For sure. Okay, guys. uh, Until next time, steer clear of cults because they are no joke. Still no joke. Nope. They're not. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. See you later. Mm -hmm. 